So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Part two of this three-part series is focused on what it takes to open one or more stores at once. Joe and I deep dive into how to find the locations, where to find and hire the staff, helping new employees from out of state, the logistics of overcoming the tech shortage, and how to have the right leadership team in place. In addition, we have a great discussion on the mindsets of techs at dealerships versus independent shops. So if you're an owner, a tech, or really anyone involved in a growing auto repair company, then this episode is for you. As you may have noticed, Joe and I can talk a lot, so this is another long one, but I assure you it is well worth the listen all the way through. Can't wait for you to hear it, so stay tuned. online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Manjo, so part two. Part two. Yeah. Here we go. So Insider Baseball here, we we really just recorded part one. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty much doing like a recording marathon right now. We are. Yeah. It's what we do. Yeah. I mean, we're we're pounding Gatorade and Yeah. Go hard or go home. <laughs> That's right. We're not at home. <laughs> <laughs> I miss lunch. I'm a little hungry right yeah. now. Yeah. Hey, I'm getting hangry. Yeah. Yeah. So this Forward episode might it. be aggressive. Might be. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so uh if you didn't hear part one, you should definitely go back and listen to it. Uh Joe brought a ton of wisdom on the process of really taking a store that's not performing well. We talked through a manager that you had to deal with uh, that situation and really explain like the step-by-step how you got that store where it is. And I think that if you didn't hear that episode, every single shop owner and employee really could benefit from that. So Mm -hmm. definitely listen to that. Uh, This week, I want to talk about what was happening in that same time period for you. And that was opening these additional stores. Yeah. 
because we were talking about before the show, kind of preparing for it. Like there were so many things that going from how many stores? From five, five to seven. To seven, but really buying more mm-hmm. that are just not ready to come online yet. Yeah. So, you know, rapidly expanding and and you had some really cool things that that you implemented, learned along that process that I think if you're going from one store to two or three to, you know, five or 10, whatever, uh, th- I think this is going to be really helpful. So I'm excited about this episode. Uh, so uh, Joe, real briefly, if they didn't hear it in part one, just, you know, tell us who you are real quick. Yeah. So I'm Joe Stokes. I am the regional director for a automotive repair facility in Middle Tennessee. I am a father of four, happily married, 22 years, been getting it done um, for a long time in the car world, done pretty much every role there is, and um, loving life and now loving podcasting. Yes. So that's me. Awesome, man. So let's dive in. Uh, When, so the the owner of the company, Mm -hmm. tell us the progression of like, Hey, I want to expand. How did that go down with between you and him? Yeah, so it it kind of went like, hey, uh, so the owner and I have gone back and forth with. We kind of have a mantra, and we were talking about it actually at our Christmas party um, about getting out of the way of rising stars within the company. That is, so we've kind of hit a point where we had a lot of people up and coming, a lot of people that had been with us for a long time. And we basically were like, hey, we we're, we need to grow. We really want to grow. We want to do a lot more for the area. We want to expand. Middle Tennessee, for everybody that doesn't know, is, is on fire. Yeah. Um, everybody that's a local here, I've been here since 1990. Um, my wife is a native-born Nashvillian. Those are rare. Um, oh, very rare. Very, very rare. But uh, anyhow, we, we've we just been here so long and we're watching it explode that we're all just sitting here going, you know what? If we don't want to just watch everybody come here from out where outside the area and us not do anything of the same, you know, this is a sign we should expand as well. And so we started doing that, um, started looking. It, it, <laughs> it was kind of funny because we found several places and we were like, oh, these would be great. And we talked to all these people and we got shot down by like everybody for buyouts, you know, different type of things. Some of them were, uh, other people brought the stores to our attention and we came in and looked at them and then it just, you know, the deal didn't work or it was more of an industrial, like commercial business um, versus like a, a, uh, standardized, you know, residential client that would come in. Yeah. It was like fleets and whatnot. So we did not want to get into that. That's not our business model. Um, and then a few months passed by and suddenly not one, not two, not even three, but four of them turn around and say, hey, we would like to do this and we want it done by the end of the year. And this was in 2021. And we were like, well, crap, we just went to four and we didn't want to say no because they were all great opportunities. So we just jumped on it. Yeah. And uh, the first two, we, I think store number six, we got mid-January 
fully, and that's when we, when I say we got, that's where we got a key to a building that we were able to start working on. That store, um, hard lesson learned, we kept it open while remodeling. And that was very difficult. Very, very difficult. People were in their car on the phone to sell jobs because it was loud. And I won't go into all the details. I'm just not going to make this about construction. But construction while you're open is hard. I'll leave it at that. As hard as you might think it is, it's harder. It it was, I would say that was probably our biggest mistake if we if we had to point one out. That one, uh, that one was tough. Then just on the heels of that store, we opened the other one. It was being remodeled and it was closed. It was a a functioning business that we closed down and we changed the entire business model, name, the entire everything of it changed. Yeah. Um, and so that one was much more clean cut. It was it it was really the way I would I'm modeling doing this after the way we did that one. Um, but they it was right on the heels of the other one. So it was it was pretty crazy. And uh, the other two are right now being remodeled as we are here sitting here talking. People are in there beating up floors and making walls pretty and doing things like that. Yeah. So that that really is for us, it is the the growth for our team that people can have somewhere to go, have a position to move up into, have new opportunities. Because if we're not seeking out new opportunities, then we basically just become stagnant. And we just sit here and we're doing the same old thing, wash, rinse, repeat. And we're not expanding out, giving our team, like I was saying, opportunities to do yeah. and grow, which is what ultimately we feel like we're called here to do is to, it's, I mean, yeah, cars that are fixed are cool. But like we always tell the team, you know, you're not just fixing someone's car. You're getting them to work. You're getting them to school. You're getting them to funerals, weddings, to see family. You're, you know, you, you're getting them anywhere and everywhere. People really take for granted transportation until yeah. you don't have it. And yeah. then you realize how big of a deal it is. So that's what we try to portray with everybody. Let everybody know, hey, this is what we're really doing. And we want to offer those services to as many people as we possibly can in this area. And it's been well received. So we're just keeping at it at the moment. Yeah. I think one thing that stands out to me is, you know, uh, there's a difference between growing a business, you know, out of, uh, you know, I just want to make more money or, you know, some of these just more, just kind of common reasons, it stands out to me that what you have decided to do or a major part of the influence to grow was really to provide for your employees. And I think that's something that I think sometimes I've seen in businesses, auto repair, big corporations, whatever, you lose sight sometimes of, you know, your employees are as much your customer as your customer. And if you're not providing them great service and an opportunity to better their life through the product of being an employer, you know, you're, you're shortchanging yourself and them. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the opportunity of being the employer and getting to be the lead 
is is huge. It's an opportunity, but it's also an obligation. It's a responsibility. And yeah, it's it's a huge one that I mean yeah. there's like we we talked about in in uh, episode 1 that whole safety thing of I'm responsible for these people to have a you know a livelihood. And like we talked about Middle Tennessee is one of the fastest growing places in the country and it's also becoming one of the most expensive places to live in the country. I saw that Nashville uh, in October was more expensive to stay in Nashville than it was in New York and LA. It's been that way, I think, off and on for years. Yeah, and it's like it was the destination wedding like in the top five for the last 10 years. And I mean, I was like, again, almost a native person. Wasn't born here, but I've been here a long time. It's like, I'm going, what? (laughs) Like here? I just live here. Why? But uh, I mean, it is a great place. It really is. Yeah. But that's what we're looking at. And if we're being honest with ourselves, and you can remove yourself enough from the business and not just say, well, I'm doing good. But you know what? There, there's a guy who wants to move up and get a better position that maybe takes the trash out and cleans the floors. And it is in my capacity to do something about that, to offer a position without firing somebody else to give it to him. So the opportunity, and it may require somebody moving. And that's the other thing too there. We have some great people that they commute a long way. And so not everywhere that people live is an opportunistic place to put a a repair shop. So we don't do that. But if I can somehow get people to work in a place that's closer to where they live, I would love to do that. That's what I really want to do is give them that opportunity to be closer to home if it's possible. Right. So, and then keep them inside the company. You know, most of them, we've had several move different stores depending on where they lived. And they've been with us for years. Great, great people, great employees. And we've got to watch them move up the ranks. Some of the new stores we just opened, uh, those were people that started in other stores. They've moved up. They've, you know, gotten significant pay raises and we get to watch them grow and step up and step into a new role. And that's, I mean, really when you're in the leadership, that's what your your goal, to me, that's what your goal needs to be is what can I do there? Fixing cars is a byproduct of what we do. And again, also for the money side, the money comes. As long as you're doing your job right, you're following your systems and you're taking care of your people, that's right. the money just follows it. It's it's a byproduct of doing a, a really good job. And so that's, I mean, like you were saying, people that will lose sight and they're all about the dollars. I mean, dollars are, don't get me wrong, they're very important. And they're also, I feel they're more important as an indicator of what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong versus, you know, oh, look what I can buy. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, I think, are doing that. But you look at some of the the shops out there that don't do real well and they don't have a lot of dollars. There's a lot they don't do well. If you go inside, there's a lot of systems that are broken, repairs that are botched, uh, customer service that's very poor. Um, there's a lot going on there. I mean, it's just like when you go to a bad restaurant, you rarely go to a restaurant that has poor service, poor food, that's just jam-packed and doing really good, making all kinds of money. Word gets out. Yeah. They're, you know, they go hand in hand. So when you do a good job, the money comes. And I think it's really important. And also part of, you know, episode one was letting go of control 
or the illusion of it. Yeah. And realizing the only thing I can do is control what we do to a degree. And I want to do my best to make this experience for the customer really great. And if I can do that and my team can do that and I can empower them and give them the freedom to do this sort of thing, especially giving them the opportunity to be closer to home where they're actually like, I'm happy going to work. I'm happy that this company's doing things. I mean, it's a, it's, it's not a small thing for those of you that have never remodeled a shop or you've only seen them built from the ground up to go into a building, tear everything out of it, grind concrete floors down. If you ever want to see a mess, grind down concrete floors. It is possibly the messiest thing you'll ever see in your life. And refinish all that, new electrical, new paint everywhere, new lighting all over the place, and get everything installed up and running where it's systematic and you can utilize this building to maximize the amount of cars that can come in and out to do all that. And you get to bring team members in to see it as the process is happening. They get buy-in. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is so nice. They want to dress better. They'll buy new shoes. They're cleaning the doors. And it's like, man, this is awesome. And it it really helps breed a culture because they view it as an investment in them that they get to work inside of it. Yeah. Meaning, you know, I'm not being like, hey, here's a here's a crap box, you know, go work in that little dungeon over there and you know be thankful you know that it's just a i've seen that before i've walked into shops if you're you know when you drive by a shop and you look the bay doors are open and you can't see inside with during the day because it's so dark in there and it's like man i mean everybody that knows technicians they all have a ton of flashlights and we still have to use flashlights but we try to get our shops so bright that when you're on the top side you really don't need a flashlight. I drive by one of your one of the stores every day, and it's yeah. like a beacon inside. Yeah, the it, white floors reflect everything. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of super duper uh, bright lights. Yeah, so I'm always updating light. That's like my big thing, lighting. <laughs> Looking at opening a store, whether you're opening one or five or ten or whatever, you know, there, there's a few aspects. There's the you know, do I have the capital to do it? Mm-hmm. That's critical. Do I have a system that can be replicated based on other stores that have proven to be profitable, proven to have systems and processes? If we don't have those two things, you know, do not pass go. Like that doesn't work. 100%. So if we've we've worked through those things, and and I think maybe another episode, you know, that that would be fun is really talking through like, how do we find the store? How do we do the negotiations? What would be really interesting to talk about right now is, you know, I, I know that you guys had the systems in place. I know you you had, you know, the reserves and everything. But what about getting the people in the store? You mentioned leveling up staff. Um, did you bring in outsiders? Did you build a bench first? How did you train them? Like, how did you get the people in those stores and ready to create a profitable situation? It's a great question. What we did is we went on a recruiting frenzy is what we did. Um, It wasn't pretty. We just started actual advertising in other areas. We primarily looked at where every, like we said, Tennessee's growing like mad and everybody you meet, it seems like right now they're either from, for those of you again that don't live here 
everybody now is like, oh, I'm from Chicago or I'm from California I'm or from I'm California. from or I'm from yeah. New York. And we've been here for a year and we love it. And it's like, of course you do. Um, no, I'm kidding. We love all the people that move here. We really do. We like the traffic. Uh, <laughs> no, it drives business. Um, it, no, but it's... It, it, so we started advertising in these areas because we're like, there. there's so many people leaving California and coming to... Tennessee that surely there's some technicians in there. Surely there are, right? I mean, did you guys post ads on like Indeed? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were all over Indeed. We don't really do Craigslist anymore. It's yeah, that kind shifted of, quite a bit. Yeah, I feel bad for that company. That's a whole nother side note. Yeah, Facebook uh, Marketplace, I think, kind of killed them. Yeah, the, but you know what? Facebook Marketplace also got all the scams. So it's true. It's pretty bad. Side but, note. Yeah, side note. Not that we're going to get to do a podcast about Facebook scams, but <laughs> they're fun to play with. They really are. Those people just drag them on, tease them as wow. long as you can. I've gone as far as letting them mail me a check and then pay the deposit fee to let them get it in there and then put an auto response in my email that I'm away on vacation so they don't get crazy and not keep contacting me back. Wow. Yeah, it's That's, a little, huh. little game plan, but um, it's fun. And, uh, but, but yeah, we started advertising and we've got a lot of West Coasters and uh, we've picked up so many West Coasters. Probably I would, I would say 70% is coming from the West Coast. The rest of them are Illinois, the, you know, the Midwest, a few Midwesterners and a few New Yorkers. Um, but I mean, it's usually they all say, well, we were either looking at Tennessee or Texas or Florida. So they were moving anyway. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're just trying to grab the technicians out of those areas. And, you know, because there and there are some, not all of them have been winners. Not all of them have worked out great. Uh, we generally say it's about one out of every three turn out within two years to be really great and a good hire. Um, I think it's been a little better than that lately. It's probably been closer to two out of three. Um, but we've, I think we've gotten one better at hiring. Uh but I also think the people that are willing to move that far, a lot of them have a lot of intentions. You know, they're very intentional about what they're doing. They don't take it lightly that they're going to pack up, move across the country for just, you know, and uproot their entire family. And a lot of times move away from family. They yeah. still, a lot of them ha still have family out there. Um, but th that's kind of how we did that. And what we did is we put them in, our other stores and the, what that looks like is, you know, basically we guarantee them funds of their income while they're being trained. And, uh, we, we partner them up where they're shadowing, you know, if it's a technician, they'll be with another technician and parts person the same way, yada, yada managers, same thing. And, uh, so they'll go through that and they'll, oftentimes we'll put them in two different stores. You know, they'll stay here for three weeks, four weeks, and then they'll go to the next door, three weeks, four weeks. And that way they've done the job. They're making phone calls. They're making sales. They're doing repairs. They're working our systems and processes. They've seen it all done. And then when we go into a new store, it is obviously the layout's going to be different at the store. They're all a little bit different, mm -hmm. but and it'll be a new face with the team they're working with. But they get in there and they hit the ground running. It's not a whole lot of, you know, holding my hands up going, I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. Uh, they they can just go. But it's 
it's been a unique situation given that so many of them are from out of town. They don't know like they don't know where to go for lunch. They don't know where to go to buy things. I mean, Nashville's turned into a, you know, it, like for people that aren't here, it's very similar, I would think, to like Atlanta now. It's and becoming an international city. Yeah, it's yeah. so well known that it's got a lot of unique things and huge, you know, stores that would never be here now. I mean, I always thought of the indicator was is the Highline cars. We three years ago did not have Highlines, and I mean like Ferrari, yep. Aston Martin, Bentley, Rolls Royce, and now within a mile of where we're sitting, we've got Lamborghini, Aston Martin, Rolls Royce, Maserati, Bentley. Mm-hmm. We've got all these, you know, the higher, high-end stuff. All of it's right here, local. I mean, and literally across the street from where we're sitting, Lamborghini just moved in. Yeah, they're, they're over there with, you know, million-dollar cars. So, it, it the money is here, and there's a lot going on. It's an exciting, happening place, and it's really kind of turned into, if you've been to New York and you see all the cross uh the cross-pollination of culture that they have where you've got, you know, so many different people of different backgrounds and countries. And it's, to me, it was shell-shocking when I went to New York because I had mostly grown up in the South. And I got up there and I was like, man, everybody is a different color or speaks a different language. Like there's zero consistency with anything here. It's really cool. It's really unique. And it provided, it made a really, uh, for me, it was an exciting environment because yeah. all it was so different. It was a lot of change everywhere you went. Yeah. Um, and Nashville's starting to become that way. It's becoming a melting pot of a lot of different culture and background and, you know, food and things like that. And when that happens, you end up with these people from way out west and they're like, I don't know what to do with this because not all of them are like from LA. A lot of them are right. rural parts of yeah, there's some California. Rural, that's where I grew up. I mean, yeah. it's not not all like LA at all. Yeah, and we have a team that moved out here from uh, Washington State and they were like from some town that was like 5,000 people. So they moved here. They're like, holy, yeah. <laughs> they were like, holy crap. This is, there's so much stuff here. It's so different. And uh, I mean, again, we're not in LA, but we're getting nicknamed the LA of the South. And it's just crazy to see it. So when you get these people, you're kind of, you're kind of uh, trying to like lead them in, not just with work and getting them to learn your processes, but how our culture is, how different our culture is. Something that a lot of people out West, I've noticed when they come here, they don't hold doors. And in the South, it's like a rite of passage if you're the person following someone else that that door will be held for you. Or you are a jerk. It is. like it's People a, will look at you like, oh. Yeah, you're going to get a, well, bless your heart. <laughs> like right then and there. And that's, those are fighting words. That's Southern for <laughs> F you. It is. Idiot. It is. And I, I can't, oh man, the first time I went to California, I was in San Diego and I had so many doors slammed in my face and I was ready to fight everybody. <laughs> I was like, everybody is a jerk here. It's just the culture. Though. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was all that it was. Yeah. And and finally at one point, and I didn't realize it until I held a door and this couple walked through and the lady turned to me and she goes, oh, well, thank you. 
And I immediately was like, you're not from here. I know you. Yeah. And I was like, where are you from? She's like, oh my gosh, you're from the South too. And I was like, yeah. She's like, we're from Alabama. And I was like, I'm from Tennessee. And they were like, they were like, you're the first person to hold the door for us. And it's a Southern thing. Yeah. And how much they're like, oh, thank you so much. And like, they would be like, yeah, thanks. And it wasn't like to be cold. It was just it's weird. Just the style. It was just, yeah. and honestly, it's also, it, it, that's, and the reason I bring that up is when we've hired service advisors. Oh, yeah. Then they're selling to somebody from the South and they're like, That's a thanks. whole different lingo. Just saying, thanks. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it doesn't go over that well. It really doesn't. And we've had a lot of them struggle because they're, people will say, I just, I don't like their attitude. And they'll want to talk to me about this person's attitude. And I listen to the call. I know the person from California and I know they've got great intentions and they're a very kind person. But I've got a couple that are successful from California in sales and they've all said we had to learn Southern hospitality really fast. It's a real thing. It is a genuine thing. Like they're genuinely nice to their neighbors all the time. Like they're in each other's business a lot. Not all, but a lot of them are. And yeah. it, Honestly, I I mean I am. That's how my neighbors are. It's 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 a culture thing here. And the culture of being, you know, the oh you're so sweet. One of our uh one of our number one salespeople, actually our number one. So there's hands down. It's uh she always will say, "Oh, it's so funny. You're so cute." She was on the show. Yeah, you she's on the show. Uh, yeah, it's Anya. Anya. Uh, Anya. Great episode by the way. Yeah, yeah. and Anya crushes it with all the syllables. Um, but she has perfected, and she's from California, and I believe yeah. she lived, her family's like from Minnesota. Yeah. And so she'll occasionally get the long O's when someone walks in the door. She'll be like, oh, don't you know? And she'll get the, the uh, for sure, and kind of roll that in there. And I'm horrible at an accent, so go ahead and make fun of me. It's, it was, it it's cool. Bad. But she's what's interesting to me is I listen to a lot of her phone calls and what you don't get to see when you listen to the phone call versus in person is the prep when the phone's ringing because she will literally start to laugh and for over nothing, like nothing happened. It's She'll just, her process. just yeah, yeah. It, it is. And she gets herself in this groove and she's learned she didn't, now when I say Southern hospitality, she didn't learn a Southern accent. She learned it's the, culture. The, the culture of being so polite, over the top. Like, it's not just saying thanks to thank you, to thank you so much. I really appreciate it, is the way the Southerners do it. And that's for like getting a glass of tea refilled. I think what's know. interesting about that is, I mean, what we're trying to talk about here is, you've got people that you're pulling in from other areas. They have to learn the culture in order to be successful, especially in those service roles. It's the same, whether you're taking someone from the South to California, if they are that over the top, you know, kind of, uh, well, I, I guess it is just over the top kindness and, you know, pleasantries and all that. You send them to California. People are going to think that they're fake, that they're, that they're trying to pull one over on you. Mm -hmm. Or you send someone up North, totally different culture. And so if you're pulling those people in from different parts of the country 
or even different parts of your state. I mean, Texas has very different cultures in its areas. You've got to make sure that you're setting them up for success. One, like, you know, helping them understand here's how, you know, to be successful in this role here, here's the etiquette. But also I imagine there was a lot of people that you helped like, Hey, here's the parts of town to live in. This area is not so great. This area is great. Oh yeah. Here's where the good food is and really helping that move experience be something that's a positive. Yeah. Uh, moving packages. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about that. So did you offer those? (laughs) Oh yeah. What does that look like? Oh man. Well, it, it depends on what they are, who they are. Um, and the positions. So obviously the more, if there are anybody out there, I'm sure at this time that we're recording this, technicians are hard to find. This is late um, 22. Yeah. Recording this. Uh, it, they don't just fall from trees. Sales is a little bit, I think I get the most applicants for service managers, honestly. Like if I put out a service manager ad, I'll have 35 applicants by the, you know, within two hours, three hours. Sales is very similar. Technicians, oh man. You're talking if you got 35 and in the two, three weeks, you're like, yes, I hit the jackpot. I mean, it is uh it's maybe a tenth of the turnout. Um, technicians are just typically not that, and I'm not where this isn't about hiring techs, but um it it's they're they're the difficult ones. So in this time and era, those are the ones you're trying to woo the most, and you're you have to reach out there and really find them. And that's where putting the moving packages and sometimes it's I've gotten burned. I've I had a guy. So I'll just, we'll go ahead and just be fully transparent. We hired a, well, thought we hired a guy. He moved from out West um, to here, had his whole moving package uh, where what we, we don't pay them directly. We'll pay the moving company. Um, we didn't pay 100% of it, but we did a substantial portion. And they get here, and he had a, also like a whole sign-on bonus. And this guy's terrible. Oh. The worst attitude in the world. I mean, like, uh, he, I even flew him out beforehand to meet this guy. And see, he worked with us for two days, and he seemed amazing. Then he gets here, and it was like we, you know, shot his dog and peed in his, you know, Cheerios. I, I don't know what happened, but it was so bad that it got to where it's in the way our contract's written that you have to pay back your sign-on if you're not with us within a year and all this other stuff. Like, that's typical. If you're not doing that for sign-on bonuses and moving packages, you need to incorporate it. It'll keep the scammers out of your life. But this guy was so bad that we got to where I was like, you don't owe me anything. Just leave. Just get out of my life. You're that bad. Wow. And that was such a horrible experience. And then I've had other experiences where they didn't, and I had a little bit of a spidey sense, they didn't get the moving package. And I told them, you know, it's for, we keep ours loose. Like I don't put out there how you qualify for it. You don't put it in your ad. Yeah. We'll we'll say that there are packages available or a sign-on bonus is available. That way they have to ask me, what is it? What are the qualifications? And, you know, I can then basically say, well, hey, if you're feeding, if you're fitting 100% of my need right now and you're exactly what I need and you're like, you know, basically you hung the moon, then I'll throw the whole book at you. It's awesome. But if you're just like sort of, 
you know, well, you're going to need help here training this program. You're going to need a lot it's of just investment. Like offering an hourly rate. It's based on yeah, what, what you, you what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, what's your value in this industry? Yeah. So that that's how I like to keep them. And then of course it's always like phased in. I never you don't ever give them money directly. It's always after they've been there a certain amount of time, and we usually do it in two to three installments um, over time. That way they've got skin in the game. I don't want someone just, you know, coming in and then being like, well, you know, I'm done here. I got my money. Bye. And then trying to get money back. Trying to get money back from people is very difficult. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, we've had people where I didn't even get the money and what they leveraged was an offer letter. It was a guarantee. And then they were moving to the area. They bought a house and they closed on the house using our offer letter and then never showed up to work. Wow. So uh, that's happened to me three times. Now, three times out of a 22-year career, probably not the worst. Yeah. But it's enough that you're planning on it. You've had all these phone interviews. I mean, they're committed. They're really committed. And the thing is, is they usually now live in your community <laughs> right down the street from you. And you're like, great. I just helped you get a house, went through all this, thought you were going to fill this role, and now you're not. Yeah. So that didn't happen this last go-around. That's happened a while back, but this go around with recruiting, it's gone really pretty well outside of a, you know, a couple small hiccups of people coming back and saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to do something different with my life and yada, yada, yada. And they yeah. just left the industry altogether. Yeah. I think that's happened one time out of all the recruiting we've just done in the last year. But for the most part, it's gone over pretty well, but it's been like we were saying, you know, interesting with out-of-towners gathering, developing the culture, trying to fit in, and then realizing that it exists and that they don't have it. Um, that's probably the toughest part is convincing them that Southern hospitality is not just slang. And it's not just a Cracker Barrel. It's real and you need to understand it and then you need to also understand when Southern people want to sit down and have a conversation, they actually don't want to sit down with you. They just want to talk to you face-to-face -face is what they're trying to say. Yeah. And a lot of them like to do that. And we've hired a lot of people from out West and they love to text. Like uh, in the, the POS we use, uh, you can text message people. And many of them want to rely on that. And our number one salesperson period makes more phone calls than anybody else. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's like, guys, you, I, I know you like to communicate that way, but this is not about you. Mm -hmm. This is about them. Yeah. And really it's the culture more than anything else. So, you know, like you said earlier, I mean, we're in late 22 there, you know, everybody I talk to, you know, I talk to a lot of shop owners it's like, man, I can't find text. I can't find text. Was, was it harder than it's been in the past in this go around? Did you have to pay for more ads than typical? Like what was the differences from what you've seen in the past? What's working right now? Did you now? know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. 
That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Right now, the ads are just heavy, running a lot of them. Sign-on bonuses are still very relevant. The pay rate is through the roof for techs. Um, I feel like it's starting to level off, though, in terms of pay rate. Yeah. Um, the quantity of techs out there is still relatively low. I know, I don't know if you follow tech school enrollment, things like that, but Mercedes, BMW, things like that, they they occasionally put out, you know, hey, hey this is uh, our enrollment number we wanted for the year and here's where we fell short. Yeah. They don't do it every year or at least make it public every year. But in the last few years, I've seen numerous times that they were anywhere between 22 and 45% short. Yeah. I haven't heard of a year in the last five years where anybody was like, hey, our enrollment's at 100%. It's where we want it to be. And over in overseas where BMW and Audi, all these other companies are stationed, they are, they've got some really lofty programs, you know, where these kids are guaranteed 100k within two years, yeah, and and they don't even bring up performance or what you know. Um, and it's been interesting because it's changed the way that they use technicians because they're using more of like a hive mind uh, um, with the way the car comes in. And the facility and the 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 way they enter the problems such a different animal at a dealer right now. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, it's really pretty brilliant. It really is the way that they'll take a complaint, and then it not only is like, hey, you know, customer says my car, you know, does this. Then they'll take that customer's complaint, establish it with a if there's a any kind of trouble code that goes along with it, or any other like smelling something burning or, you know, a puddle on the ground, whatever symptom, they'll establish all that together with technician findings and then create probability percentage rates. And the more and more that they come in to the dealership, you can have a car come in and not all dealers are doing it this exact way, but they have a probability rating. And so you can actually, if you're a technician that works for a dealer, cover your ears, you can have a lot of techs that don't know very much because your hive mind is so good that it compensates for it. Yeah, and I've I know technicians that work or have worked at dealers and and I think that unfortunately that whole situation makes them more uh, makes them less valuable to the company. And makes it much easier for them to say, oh, hey, you know what? Let's let's move you out because I can replace you with somebody else that's cheaper at some point or economy fluctuates, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, which perpetuates this issue in our culture where people think, oh, you know, being in the service industry sucks. Yeah. It, and you're hitting the nail on the head. The What they did as a solution to tech shortages 
ultimately is causing a bigger problem. Correct. Because- it's hurting the entire the, industry. Yeah, it really makes the technician more insignificant. Right. And the no, I don't know of anybody who's like, man, I just want a job where I'm not significant. No one appreciates me. And it's just crappy every day. And all I do is push buttons and put a part on a car and I go back home. Yeah. I mean, who wants that? Nobody does. That's not why anybody got into working on cars. And that's the thing with most technicians. Most technicians, they either A, sought it out on purpose and became a tech. Those are rare. Mm -hmm. Or B, they started working on cars because they were broke and their car was broken. And that's what they did. And then they went, huh, I have a natural aptitude to this. Well, I got a newsflash, man. Most everybody out there has some mechanical natural aptitude to a degree. Just like everybody has probably done a puzzle. You were doing puzzles when you were five. They only had five pieces, but you were doing puzzles. Yeah. And you were figuring that stuff out. So those basic things you'd stumble your way into in a, on a car, normally you're going to find your way through it. You know, bolts clockwise, you know, in, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey type things. Those things are quickly developed by everyone. The thing that makes you good is when you understand concepts theories and especially like electrical it's way easier and my dad is an electrical guy an electrician and will always say i'll always take the electrical guy over the mechanical guy and i'm gonna be like well why is that he's like because the electrical guy does not need to touch it or see it or feel it to know how it works and to figure out what went wrong because everything's in theory yeah, and, that's good that, and then they also would say the same thing about electricity. You don't touch it, see it, hear it, or feel it, or you hope you don't feel it. Because if you do, well, you know, lights out. But <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's something that when the dealerships do this, it is brilliant. It really is. And it ultimately, does the experience get better for the customer? I don't know. I'm up in the air on that. It, it the problem I see with that, you know, if you let's let's just take, you know, a major German brand, mm -hmm. whichever one you want, they have these, you know, massive R and D budgets mm -hmm. where they can create these algorithms and programmatically. Is that a word? Sure, I'm gonna go with it. I like that. Yeah, that was good. Prog oh, I can't say it now. They can develop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they can develop, you know, these these things that really guide one. I'm sure that they can forecast, OK, I'm seeing that, you know, this particular model year, I'm seeing this issue. I need to hone in training on on this with with our team. The problem with that that I see is, like you said, one, it, it for lack of a better word, it dumbs down the the field mm -hmm. and, it, and it reduces the need for highly skilled but it also removes critical thinking at the local level. Oh yeah. Having a technician who knows how to critically think, knows the theory, you know, that person, you know, in Europe that's programming some probability, they're not there in the shop with that car. And that is only going to get you so far. So it's going to be curious to see as they if they continue down this path, not having, you know, master level technicians locally in those stores and maybe it's not I'm, I'm sure different brands are different ways but if this particular way of thinking continues i'm curious you know if the customer service will decrease because cars are taking longer you know they're having to call europe to get 
you know, diagnostic support and things like that. Total side note, but that's super interesting to think through. Yeah, it, and it really is. And that's the other thing when you're picking up some of these techs and they've come from dealerships. Oh, that's a good point. And something I've noticed from watching a, uh, a family member of mine go for, to a dealership and then to another dealership is the, they call it training, but it's, I, I don't like to use the word indoctrination because I feel like it's too strong, but it feels like compliance training almost more. Yeah. And it really, it gets, it gets them into a spot where they believe that everything that this company does and produces is amazing. Mm. It is just the best thing since sliced bread. And the reality of it is, is man, it's just a product. It's all that it is. And they just, you know, they want those people and doing this hook, line, and sinker. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, with these technicians, they become order takers. They're not thinking for themselves. And the way you get someone to comply with being an order taker voluntarily is you've got them so sold on it. Not only now are they going to do whatever you ask, but they're also like, I want to be associated with what I believe is the best. So I'm going to believe everything that they say. And you end up in this position where that's occurring. And that just, man, it when you're on the outside seeing it happen, it is very, very frustrating to watch. And usually they can't see it and recognize it. And you're just out there wanting to slap them in the face going, come on, man. You know, do you realize what's occurring? Do you realize how much is going on around you that you don't know, that you don't look at? And um, I I heard a phrase from a guy who was a scientist. He said the, the, best, uh, the best things that are ever created always were followed up with, huh, that's interesting. And meaning it was almost always an accident. Yeah. It was a byproduct of trying to do something else. And... I feel like when you take away those painful moments and for those of you that are not technicians, there's a lot of those being a tech of being defeated and not understanding something and not getting something worked out. And it costs you personally money, time, your patience, um, a lot of your cognitive uh, headspace to focus on other things that you care about and they just eat your lunch, those kind of problems, they they can either A, really shape you and make you better, or they can really hurt you. Uh, and I, I really dislike to where people are just become order takers and a, a cog in a machine. That's just something that I, I can't support it. I still think they, some of them, those car companies build cool cars. However... I don't like the, you know, farm out one bright mind or create that hive mind type of computer system, which is, I mean, I'm happy to admit that's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant idea. When you have that many cars out there, it's like, why wouldn't you collect all that data and leverage it for you to be able to fix these cars quicker? However, again, if you're just a tool in the cog, how happy are you and how good is your customer service at that point? You know, how much are you, I mean, if you ever had a waiter when they see, see say, what do you think about this food? And they go, eh. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, if everything's eh, everything's meh to them, you're like, I'm not eating here. Let's just leave. 
versus someone who's like, oh, it's excellent. You're going to love it. All this other stuff because of the effort and what they know about it. Yeah. They go back there and watch them cook it. They try all the different foods. They believe in this person who's doing it. And that's where it's like, that's that's what people that are real life, they buy these specific German cars and usually the more expensive they get, it's for the experience. It is for the image, especially in German and British cars, but it's the experience. It's yeah. anybody that hasn't driven European cars. They have an X factor. And that's why you will see people that drive, if they're new to BMW or whatever, they'll get in one. And if they, they're like the second or third owner, a lot of times they won't buy another one. They'll say, oh, this car's super expensive. But you'll see these people buying these BMWs and Audis and they just keep buying them and buying them is because they have an X factor when you drive them. It is an experience in those cars. It's undeniable. Yeah. Oh, you can't beat it. I mean, I, I've driven tons of other cars. I mean, you get in a, a Porsche. Oh my gosh. It's like, there's just something about the car that it talks to you. It gives every gives you so much feedback that no other car companies really get it. I mean, there's there are some, and I'm, here comes angry emails, but... <laughs> the majority of them out there just they they miss that they're isolating that away and that's what it's it's an experience and so when you then turn the repair portion into this automation hive mind type of well the computer says type of situation yeah. and again it's almost like let's get away from the accountability mm -hmm. of it as well it, it to me it just rubs me the wrong way versus you know hey there's this really heavily crafted machine that gives you this exceptional experience and we're just gonna, you know, farm out whatever the computer thinks repair. Yeah. And again, I know not all of them are that way. And before you say, Joe, you missed the mark, blah, 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 all this well, other there's stuff. There's good aspects to yeah. it and things like that. It would never work in an independent shop. Oh, no. We, we see too many makes and models and mm -hmm. situations and we're getting second and third market cars. You know, it, it just... It wouldn't work, but I definitely see from a single manufacturer dealership perspective, like you said, makes total sense. Yeah. And so those techs, when you pick them up, they're hard. They're hard to deal with. I mean, if you're one of those techs, I can tell you right now, the best thing you can do is go to an independent. You will be brighter, better. I've had several techs leave and go to dealerships. And man, they, they go in and walk in the door and they're one of the highest paid just because... They've been so cross-trained that you're going to now tell me, okay, wait, I have every scan tool that is possible for this car. I have every special tool possible for this car, every diagram, every flow chart, everything for this possible car. I mean, what can you not get right? Yeah. I mean, you can do anything. You write your ticket anyway. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like that's a cakewalk. I mean, come on. If you want to be you want to do hard, hard work, be it an independent. That's where you've got to think and you've got to learn stuff. And the great thing is you'll start seeing crossovers. You'll see, you know, similar uh, manufacturers of not the car, but parts like, you know, Bosch, uh, VDO, a bunch of other that develop uh, electronics for cars. You'll see a problem manifest itself in one car, then two years later, it surfaces in the other brand. It's fascinating. And it's when you're that technician and you get to see that, you're like, oh, I see what's going on here. One of them recalled it, one of them didn't. You know, yeah. things like that. And you see this, you get to see the crossover and it makes you, it flat out makes you smarter. 
It makes you better. And but again, goes back to that Adam Prizer rule. Love you, Adam. The whole you've got to build a business out of mediocre people. There's a lot of people that don't want that. There's people that don't want to be better. There's people that just want to go to work, try, a modest amount of try, and then go home. And again, there is a place for that. It's not, it may not be on your team. If you have a, my rule of thumb is if you're on a small team, a small store, everybody needs to be a rock star. Everybody needs to be killing it. If you have a bigger store, you can have more mediocre people because, and again, I, let me clarify mediocre. What I mean by that is people that will go after it day in, day out, that are self-motivated, not in terms of humanistic value and life value, but in terms of what value they're going to bring to the table. Their passion is in the in the company versus mm-hmm. their passion maybe is photography or yeah. hunting or something else. But they outside. couldn't make a living of that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, again, okay, I've got probably more hobbies than any man should. But what I really worked hard at developing was uh, perseverance is as almost a hobby, trying to find things that were hard and just getting better. And then one of my hobbies and my biggest desires is just to be good at whatever I do. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care what it is. I want to be good at it. How do I practice it? How do I learn it? How do I try? Because it's an example for everybody else and everybody else who's watching me. Love it or not, everyone says, don't judge people. But I mean, come on, everybody judges everybody all the time. They're always doing that. So I know for a fact I do it. I try not to, but I know it's being done to me. So I want to do my absolute best, no matter what that is. It's, you know, if it's collecting your thoughts and writing them down so you can get on a podcast or if it's, you know, going and working out and learning different things, different exercises and skills to get better at it is, man, we rabbit trailed this. <laughs> this no, I, I think this is great. Um, so, you know, maybe circling back to, you know, the staffing, which I, I mean, this is all related, but one thing that you had to do in addition to staffing up the stores is your team had to expand too. Oh yeah. And, and I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the accounting side or, or those logistics, but the operations side at your level kind of over the stores, mm-hmm. I know that expanded. Walk us through why, how you knew, you know, when to add is to not increase overhead incorrectly what did that process look like for you? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. Um, so I, I'll give some backlog. When I was at just five stores, I had an assistant, and my assistant is like my right arm. She is she's so good. amazing. She can do everything. And if you're a DM or a guy running five stores and you don't have an awesome assistant, you need to get one. And when you get them, take care of them like majorly, like if she called me and said my car broke and I'm like, you need a new car? Let's go get a car. <laughs> like, what do you need? Um, so what does she, if, you know, people hear the word assistant, they think of 20 things. What does yeah, she do for man, you? She's so much more than assistant. She fills in uh, a lot. She's also, oh, we've kind of given her also the title of uh, our lead trainer. So mm-hmm. she trains everybody when they come in. She knows how to do everything like by the book. She knows, I mean, she's half of our systems. I mean, it's been the way she does stuff. And she's 
what makes her so great too, and I'm hoping you listen to this. We uh, love you. You're amazing. But she has zero issue with learning an updated thing. Like if somebody has an updated better way than it was hers, she adopts it like right away. And it's like, cool. There's not like this attachment to that's mine and you can't change that. It's whatever works. It's a posture of humility. Yeah, yeah. and she's awesome at it and she is just killer at her job. Um, but so I had at five stores, I had just her. And then it was a really interesting thing. It was very much, I think, a God thing. I had a young man that used to live in the neighborhood I previously lived in. He was an engineering student. And for whatever reason, things didn't go well at college. And I believe he's in his third year. He came back home and he came in. It's like, hey, I want to be a tech. And so I said to him, well, what kind of experience do you have? He's like, well, I've worked on my, you know, my jet skis and my four-wheeler and, you know, small engine stuff. And then, you know, I've popped the hood on my car and I've done minor things on my car. Um, I'm probably downplaying this. Uh, he's, he's pretty good mechanically. But I was like, there's a big difference in that and being a professional technician and doing it day in, day out, 365. It's a lot. And so I walked him through what being a tech was. We sat down for a couple hours and I kind of just gave him my life. I was like, this was the hard. This is the good. This is the bad. This is what you can do, what you can't do. And I'm like, you're a really, really bright guy. You know, you're super smart and you get to make a choice right now. What do you want to do in this? Because it's a heavy investment. It's a steep learning curve because new cars come out every year while you're trying to learn the stuff from 10 years ago. They're coming out with new cars again. So it's not like, hey, this is how you frame a house. We kind of been framing houses the same for the last 50 years. It's not like that. It's going to change again and we'll have all these major shifts. So I was like, well, why don't we do this? why don't I just bring you in and you kind of go around with me and we'll see what happens. Because I'm thinking, I don't know where I'm going to put this guy. I don't, I'm loaded up with GSs trying to become techs. I want to help this kid out, but... But you recognized he had some yeah, talent. Yeah, he had some skill, but the, I just didn't want to make a job for something to, you know, make up a position. But at the time, I was also going around, I was servicing lifts, putting cables in lifts, fixing our equipment, tire machines, buying them, buying all the scan tools. I mean, and for five stores, That's I think a lot of yeah, time. one of our stores had 22 lifts in it just by itself. So I'm over here responsible for, by the time it's all said and done, 65 lifts or something like that. I mean, it's a lot. There's, a, there's always a lift broken, something going on somewhere. So I was thinking, you know, and, uh, I should probably get somebody that can learn equipment that knows what they're doing. And this kid is an engineer. It's very technical. He's very smart. So I was like, well, hey, why don't you get to get around the business and see what you think of it? And then we'll start moving you into this. This is what I need. You tell me if you want to be in it. And that's how I approached it to him. I said, I can't guarantee you, you be in the tech at all. I don't have a spot open. I've already committed to these GSs that they'll get trained and they get a shot. And there's like four of them in front of you. So unless you want to get in a queue five guys deep and wait a couple of years, that I mean, it's up to you, but here's what I have. And so he jumped at it. He was like, yes, yeah, this is great. And the moment he showed up, I was like, dude, I should have done this so long ago. Because <laughs> 
he's covering all the lifts, scan tools, computers, and then he's really tech savvy. So setting up networks, camera systems, all the stores. So when the new shop came along, we're like talking about lifts. I mean, we're setting lifts up, moving them around the floor. He goes, you know, I do know how to draw everything in CAD. And I was like, you're telling me this now? <laughs> and he was like, well, you said you had a way you wanted to do it. And I was like, okay. Fair from, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> from now on, we ask him, hey, what do you think? And uh, so I go in there and I help him measure off the store. He just whips all this stuff up together. And then he's like, hey, I got even a better idea. So we can kind of mess with it. I'm going to, he takes the whole store, prints it off on like, you know, a quarter scale of paper and each lift with the car in it. And we're just moving them around on the paper so we can kind of say, would this work? Could this work? What about putting them like this? How would this work? What kind of angle? And he integrated in like radiuses that the cars could turn inside. Wow. Like That's just wild, man. Well, what he did was he took all of the effort that we kind of just shot from our hip. He knew how to do it technically. And he just, I mean, he was doing it like in an afternoon. So it just made our work go so much quicker, so much better, so much faster without all the mistakes. Nor the risk of anybody, I don't know if you've, if people have moved lifts around, but they're not light. They're big couple thousand pound steel posts. And if something goes wrong, you can really get hurt. Yeah. And uh, so he minimized that as well, that risk. So he was amazing. That was a great addition. And then as we started bringing more people on, we realized, oh my gosh, we do not have enough people training. I've got all these new people and not enough people to train. So I had another awesome person in one of my stores that frankly was just like a majorly bright shining star. And it was very apparent that they were holding the fort down. <laughs> and I was like, hey, how do you feel about a promotion? <laughs> <laughs> you want to come and train people? And they were like, um, let me think about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting to think about it. And, uh, but then she's like, yeah, let's do it. And so she came on board. So I ended up four people deep. And on your team. On my team. Yeah. And I thought, oh man, this is way too much. It's too many people. But man, when the other stores opened up and there's all these people, and then on top of that, other people go on vacation. And then this, you know, that's the thing. The maintenance of the other stores didn't stop. Yeah. It, it doesn't take a break. Yeah. And so having that staff just made it to where we went, you know what? We can add two more and still do this. Everybody got trained. Everybody got efficient. And when we we're opening them and it was, you know, we basically made a task list between um, my two assistants, uh, my uh, my my equipment guy, I was like, you know, I got with him. I mean, I probably had to have four meetings over the course of months with him and was like, this is what needs to be done. You handle it. And he's like, cool. I was like, don't, don't call me and ask me a decision. I trust you unless it's like, you know, monumental about something that's going to be majorly detrimental to the shop. But, and, and on the front side of that, I got involved and said, you know, hey, look, these are things to watch out for. And I've been pouring into this guy for a while, just like consistently trying to be when I'm around him of, hey, this is 
I've been in here for 22 years. These are things that you may not know. and I'm just going to make you aware of them. So I'm always like, hey, be aware of X, Y, and Z. Hey, be aware of this. Hey, be aware of that. When we do this, this is something that's going to occur. Be aware of this. Don't buy this product, buy that product. Yeah. Make sure when you plummet, you do it like this. Make sure this on this side of the car, not that side of the car. Those kind of things. And he's great at taking notes, paying attention, and learning so fast that, I mean, now it's like, okay, well, we can just keep adding stores. And it's like a non, at first I was super stressed about it. And now I'm just kind of like, well, we could just keep a click of two or three a year and just keep doing it. I mean, there's no reason not to. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it, it an awesome team is amazing in learning to delegate even more is even better where you, all you do is think about a, a click up of things because this person's got it handled. And I tell you what was really difficult for me, and this actually occurred this last weekend, uh, we had a lift that needed to be swapped. And I felt honestly kind of bad because I knew my equipment guy had other things going. He had other things. But again, a lift that's not operational is a big deal. Yeah. And so I was like, hey man, we really need to get this one swapped out. And he's like, oh, cool, sure. I'll come in and just do it on the weekend. Because I was like, he's like, I'll maybe start doing this. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. You, you can't be knocking a lift down when the sh there's like 12 cars around it in the shop. Because, I mean, it was, I don't think I have to explain that it's a giant risk. <laughs> and, Not a great uh, plan. Yeah. And uh, I was like, plus we're, you know, when we're open, I don't want you know, that technician in that bay to not be able to make money, we're going to be screwing him right. with the lift down and working in his stall. So he's like, oh, no, no, not a big deal at all. I'll just come in and bang it out on Saturday. So I was like, okay, well, I'll come in and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And finally dawned on me that you've, that whole, you got to get out of your, get, <laughs> what am I messing it up? Sometimes you've got to get out of your own way by not going out of the way. And I was going to go out of my own way to go over there. And what I thought was helping, and I'm really getting in my own way. I was slowing everything down I was going to do, which was major big company stuff. I was going to stop that to go do this one little task, which he is leaps and bounds more than capable of doing. I mean, he makes it look easy. But for me, I had to like stop and go, it's okay to let them do their job and just let them be and do it. And me not always have to be there and have to help. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like I don't want to help people, but a lot of times their growth and their success will come from allowing them to do the job 100%. That means failing like that home run analogy. You got to be able to strike out and be able to hit a home run. You got to get both. Yeah. You don't get the opportunity to only have one. Um, so that was something that during this whole growth period was different because I was so used to always having uh, so many irons in the fire and being involved in everything that it got to where I was like, I cannot do all of this. I just can't. And the only way this is going to be successful and do it again and again and again is that they are successful in doing their portion. I'm successful in my portion. And when, when it comes together, it's again like the band analogy, each instrument is playing its part and together it all works. 
But if I run around and try to play a little drum and a little bit of keyboard and a little bit of guitar, it's just going to be a hodgepodge mess and it doesn't work. And then the other person doesn't also truly learn their own part if you're playing part of it. Yeah. So, and that carries over from part one of when you have to fire somebody. Oftentimes I would be like, I'll go out there. I'll, I'll come there with you. But then when I noticed one time that it occurred, the person that was being fired, actually, I don't think we were fine. We were reprimanding somebody. We were going over a problem and they were a little bit combative. But they completely quit talking to their manager. They only talked to me. Because why would you talk to this person when the pirate person higher up the chain yeah. is sitting right there? Yeah, It makes that manager irrelevant. And then everything I say is now between me and them has nothing to do with that manager anymore. Yeah. Now I just took the power away from the manager to have any control in a future situation. It just, I ripped the rug out from underneath them in the name of, I felt like I was being a good influence and helping them when really I'm hurting them. So that that was a little bit of a learning curve in this whole growth thing with the, you know, adding stores that, I've got to let people do their job and, you know, check on it, make sure it's getting done, but you got to let them do it. You cannot just always, and I wasn't a micromanager, but I felt bad. I wanted to help. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It was more or less that I just wanted to be involved and You wanted be to there. serve. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, literally go get my hands dirty. Yeah. And that was the biggest problem. Like I've gotten to where now I wear all, almost all the time, dark clothes. Because I always will go into the shop and I always get dirty. Always. If somebody's pulling exhaust down, I'm not like, oh, or I'm wearing, you know, a tie today. I'm going over there with the tie on. I'll help you pull the exhaust down. And I inevitably always ruin clothes. I ruin so much clothes. So now I'm buying like gray, black, and navy everything. It's literally what you're wearing right now. Yeah. I wear tons of black. I even just went and got rid of the other shoes. I bought brand these brand new cool Again, sneakerhead, but uh, white ones. And I wore them in the shop, black right across. I was like, oh, it gosh. A good no, it was a horrible choice. I, I do enjoy working in an office now because yeah. I'm wearing blazing white shoes. and Yeah, they stay cool. Yeah. Like, mine don't. It's like a day and they're not cool anymore. I do miss the smell of gasoline. <laughs> I'm serious. I walk into a shop now that the mixture of diesel, motor oil, and gasoline. I'm like, oh, this is home. Yo, you know what I really missed the other day is uh, induction cleaning services. It smells like gunpowder. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> and it's weird. But I don't miss, I walked by somebody using brake clean and it was like so strong. And I was like, instantaneously, my head was just like nauseous. And I was like, yeah. whoa, I'm almost dizzy. Yeah. And then, yeah, that that kind of thing. I don't Technicians, I don't if you're that. listening, be really careful with brake clean. Yeah. Don't that, wash your hands with it. No. Be cool. I, I am a being totally straight, I am a little concerned about the amount of chemicals that I've encountered over my life. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about what that's going to look like at 60 years old and how much of it, because uh, we've gotten safer and safer and better and better chemical use. Yeah. Um, the whole industry is shifting that way. Yeah. yeah. And so it's gotten better, but man, back in, 
nobody ever talked about, oh, this is a non-chlorinated brake clean when I was in the heyday of it. It was like, are you kidding me? Everything's chlorinated. Right. Everything. It'll eat, it'll eat the paint off the wall. I mean, and it nobody, works great. Yeah. And the worst part was, is the first time I got it in my eyes, I couldn't see for probably, I don't know, 20 minutes. And now if it gets in my eyes, I blink a couple of times. I'm good. Yeah. It's like, and now though, I need glasses and I can't see very well. And I'm going, I wonder how much does that have to do with my vision going downhill or is it just because I'm getting older? I think we're just getting older, bro. Uh, maybe that's the case. <laughs> maybe. But I also know I've had gas. I, I don't know how much brake clean's gotten in my eye. Brake fluid, yeah. gasoline, cool, you name it. Any technician of any length of time. If it's a fluid that interacts with a car, it's gone in your eyes, in your mouth, ears, nose, all of it. Yeah. You've just been heavily exposed. And that's something that's also not lost on me with all of our guys, we're always trying to like, hey, be as safe as you can in terms of the long term. I don't want you, you know, having adverse reactions to the stuff you got to deal with day in, day out. That's right. So we got to protect our guys. Yeah. But yeah, that that's kind of it in a nutshell with the 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 my team thing. Um I wanna I wanted to ask a, a follow-up question to what we've been talking about, just something that's been ringing in my head. Mm -hmm. From a cost perspective, you know, we talked about earlier, you, you pay really well. You're, you're bringing, you know, this team on. And I think what's hard with, with, I don't want to call it middle management, but kind of these upper levels where you're not doing a revenue generating task. I think that there's a lot of confusion or just struggle with, with, okay, I, I like to run lean. I want to save money. How do I know when not having this person actually is working against my goals? So that is a awesome question. And here's what I have to say about that. Um, we'll just, we can do some really quick math. We have 13 vacation days a year, right? That's what you, you give. We give 13 paid vacation days a year. We have seven holidays. So I give 20 Follow that, everybody. 20 business days a year paid. We'd have, paid. I think that is an entire shift that way. Yeah, that's an entire month yeah. off. Yeah. So that being said, everybody that is on my staff also fills in. So um, hang on one quick second. I'm going to grab my trusty calculator here. And I'm going to just say in office staff, let's hypothetically say I have 15 people. 15 people times 13 vacation days. We're only going to do vacation days, not plus the five sick or the other holidays because the whole company's close. Just a vacation. That's 195 days of vacation a year in just office staff that I give out. So I take those people and they fill those roles. They don't even fill all of them. They don't at all. So they do it in parts. They do it in sales. They do it in all of that. And I've had people say, well, it's not worth it or, oh, you're losing this. But it keeps my stores humming along. The thing is, is what's really, like you were saying, it's not measurable what you're losing. Like people will say, don't, you know, uh, we always just like staff up, staff up, staff up with text. You need to keep adding text. I really, really have been tossing the idea around about a mobile tech. And I don't mean mobile like going to people's houses. I mean, going it to my stores. Yeah. yeah, floater. And just it probably, uh, we, uh, we don't need to get into the pay structure of it. But 
the reason I bring up the pay structure is if I said, hey, I'll pay this person just for, you know, giggles here, I will pay them a hundred grand a year just on a salary. And you look at what labor rates are, how much does that guy actually need to work to, to make that money? Right. To pay for himself. Right. He literally would probably need to flag like a total of 20 hours a month and pay for himself. Yeah. And then that's, that's just paying for himself. Yeah. So what happens when, again, I've got how many, I think I've got 27 technicians times 13 days. I've got 351 technician vacation days a year, 351. And that one guy cannot fill all of those. And remember this, we have all that vacation and we don't work weekends. So that's 351 business days that aren't even in a year. We don't even have them in a year. Stores at one point, you've got at least one or two people on vacation. Always, yeah, always. Like everybody's like, "Oh yeah, make your money in the summer." And I preach that all the time. I tell guys try to take, try to take as much vacation in obscure months as you can, because yeah, June, July, August, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, that's where we go to the beach." I I don't go to the beach that often. I go in September, January a lot, February, obscure months, mm-hmm. because you make all your money. In those times, that's and right. I want to be there, and that's when you can really get it going. So, in my mind, having these people here, they ensure when other people are out that people are saying yes, that cars are coming in the door, that the parts are ordered, that the work's getting back there and getting done. So while they're doing other things, they're filling in. Right now, they're all filling in. That's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'm going to be filling in. So it. To me, it's, I don't... It's a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, you can shape it however you want on the payroll, but I know what it looks like when staff is down at a store and I watch the revenue dip. Yeah. I mean, you can see anybody with any shop, you pull two techs out of your store, how much does your week drop? 10K? 15? $20,000? 20 grand in a week. And if you're paying somebody 40 to $60,000 a year, all you need are three down weeks and their entire salary is covered. Three down weeks. And then everything they do for you past that is a bonus. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think like that. They're just thinking, you know, small time, what's it actually going to cost me? How much is it going to hurt me? Now I got to make them create them being busy instead of saying, what can they free me up to do so that I can then climb and ratchet up instead of working in the business, working on the business yeah. and making it all happen. So it that's how I look at it. And to me, while yes, the team grew, it also made it possible to open two stores a year and then go off without a hitch. The ROI is astronomical. Oh yeah. But on the surface, if you're just looking at, you know, the dollars and cents, you could miss that. Oh, for sure. And the other, I think some people would get into it too soon. I mean, keep in mind, we didn't do this till we went from five to seven and we're about to go to nine. Yeah. So that's when, and you want them in place sooner than later. So in the front side, probably a cost, but again, they were also filling in. But if I were to go to nine stores and not have that team, yeah, and you end up with hiring all this money, spending all this money on recruiting, and then people say, "Man, you're onboarding and your training sucks. I'm out of here." Well, your you just internal churn. Yeah, you just wasted all that money, all that effort, all that time, your reputation, a tons of stuff go down, goes downhill really, really rapidly. So having that in place, and again, it's just thinking down the road. It's just thinking ahead. And 
I, I like to tell everybody, act like we've been here before. That's what I always say to my family and <laughs> my kids when we do stuff. You know, it's a running joke because we get really inappropriate. But um, it's, yeah, act like you've been here before. Act like you've done this before. Act like you know what that store takes to run and what we got to do. And when you do that and you have a team in place, it guess what? It does what you wanted it to do. When you go in there and say, well, I hope, I mean, I've got a sticker at home. Hope is not a strategy. Right. It just isn't. So the strategy is have the team to train, have the team to equip, have the team that knows how to do, and then everybody has assigned tasks. And as long as, you know, we're all playing our part in the band, music comes out great. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, Joe, I've really enjoyed this episode because, you know, there's so many shops I talk to right now. They're either, you know, they have one location, they're going to two, or, you know, they're, they're wanting to go multi-location for the first time. And what you've brought to the table, I think, is such a missing piece a lot of times. It's, you know, yeah, I've got the systems. Yeah, I've got the cash. But how do I have the people? Because in our business and in most businesses, the success really, really sits on who is working the roles. Oh, yeah. And you've got to have the, those, the right people in the right seat at the right time. So um, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's been super Loved fun. It. Yeah. Uh, part three, we're going to dive into, uh, I think, some emotional intelligence stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that from a leadership perspective, that's going to be key for people. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much. Anytime. That was my interview with Joe Stokes. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-645-3683. Thanks. Have a great week.